a society that is detached from reality will adamantly insist that one's own version of truth is the truth and others are being misled. We can at least agree that we are not in a healthy state at this time. But how do you distinguish when both sides are saying they are the healthy side? Welcome back to the Empire's New Clothes. If you like what we're doing, you've heard it before, please like, subscribe, rate, and review. Share this with your friends. It's the best way you can help us keep doing this every week. We're about to speak with Bandy Lee. She's a medical doctor, a forensic psychiatrist, and also the president of the World Mental Health Coalition. It's a very interesting conversation because she wrote this book where she diagnosed Donald Trump as being mentally unfit to lead. So because of that, I honestly was a little concerned about interviewing her because of partisan sides of, I didn't want to focus in on one leader and not the others, and I want to be more in the center. Well, you know, it was a difficult conversation, but I encourage you to do your best to listen to it because I believe whether you're left or the right, you're going to get triggered. Um, and if you can listen to this and not get triggered, you're probably somewhere in the center. So bit of a challenge to you. The beginning, we dive a little more into big picture stuff about how the American nation may look through the eyes of a psychiatrist. And then we get in more to ways that Bandy believes that we could enact some change. Um, there's some pretty straightforward phrases she hasn't hold back. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy. Bandy, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, certainly. So I'm very excited to speak today. You are a psychiatrist and you also have a very interesting background of what perhaps brought you there. So maybe help me and the viewers understand what, why did you become interested in psychiatry to begin with? Well, I was interested in medicine because of my grandfather. He was a renowned physician in South Korea right after the Korean War. And he was in the trenches seeing patients, not turning anyone away for inability to pay, although he always charged so that they would keep their dignity. And he talked to them uh, endlessly. And I felt that in my day, being a psychiatrist would be the same thing. He was an internist, um, but uh, I wished to do the same that in ways that were applicable to our time. And I grew up in the inner city of New York uh, in the Bronx, and um, I was surrounded by a lot of inner city violence and wanted to figure out ways of trying to reduce that and reduce the suffering. Very interesting. Yeah, and you've spent so much of your time thinking about uh, su such current events, yet also your practice psychiatry. And so I guess I want to start pretty big picture here. And are you able to determine the mental health or mental capacity um, of the American nation at this current point? You mean the American people as a whole? Yeah, uh, yes, there's uh, something in psychiatry called systems theory, which says that 
principles that apply to an individual can also apply to groups of people if they have a common identity, and we do that for families, communities, and I believe it can also be done with a society and a nation. And uh, since I've worked a great deal in public health and prevention, it comes very easily to me. So when, um, well, my starting to speak up in public came, you know, after 20 years of practice in public health. And uh, so when Donald Trump was elected to the presidency, for me, that was a very telling barometer of the state of the mental health of the American public. And uh, it was not in a very good state, which was why they were attracted to someone who was mentally impaired and uh, that he was able to enter the presidency in the first place. And I think to note, the the left also was very interested in these disruptive type leaders. I don't think, because people are going to have different observations or agreements on whether someone is impaired or not. You, of course, are a practitioner, and so you have a certain assessment of Donald Trump and, and other people. But I would at least characterize it as large segments of the American population are interested in these disruptive leaders. Um, we can look at Senator Warren, Bernie Sanders. They're very disruptive on the left, uh, Donald Trump on the right. And so the question to you is, why are we, left or right, interested in putting these dis more disruptive leaders in power? Yes, they seem very similar from the outside. Uh, but I would distinguish between those who are disruptive because of mental impairment or defect versus those who are disruptive because they are trying to create a new situation or are trying to are motivated by productive or creative uh, drives. And that would be life affirming. So for me, the difference is not between different parties or uh, whether or not someone is disruptive, but whether or not someone is healthy and whether one's approaches are healthy. Of course, those who are having symptoms or those who are not in a great state of health would least be uh, wishing to be uh, uh, labeled as impaired. But that is, that is usually my job as a mental health professional, to be able to identify what the distinction is. And often it's very difficult for laypersons to tell as well. Um, but it's important to distinguish between because disorder and disease causes um, uh, uh, unhealthy disruption and destruction in the end. So it's not life-affirming, but actually promotes destruction and death. And that's what we're trying to distinguish from healthy creativity. I see. And if we're able to separate perhaps whether someone is mentally impaired or not, and and then just looking at there's voter bases that are interested in these disruptors, whether it's healthy, whether you might term it as a healthy or an unhealthy type of disruption, we still are seeing large segments of both parties finding more and more support interest in these disruptive leaders. 
Do you have any theories as to why Americans are looking for these more outsider politicians? I think we are hungering for a positive change. Uh, and I believe that that's actually appropriate. Uh, our societal conditions have been unhealthy for a while, uh, particularly with respect to vast differences in uh, income divides, uh, the great um, economic inequality and worsening inequality that we're experiencing is actually very um, non-conducive to health and especially mental health. We don't think of situations, economic situations as related to mental health, but it actually is very much so. And uh, during times of great inequality and injustice, we see a great deal of deterioration in mental health of the population, a great deal of stress that would get them attracted not so much to healthy disruptors, but to pathological disruptors. Interesting. And to drill down on that wealth and income inequality a little more, how specifically does that impact people? So the dynamics that happen are complex. But we know now that for individual development, we need uh, an ecology of care, if you will. It's not just the parents who are important or the family or even just the community. Society does matter. Um, and when society is divided into superior and inferior, uh, the ability of an individual to form a healthy sense of self is disrupted. That um, in a divided world, you will have to fight for your superiority because a vast um, number of people will end up in the inferior category. And so, um, so your identity is often tied to hierarchy where you must fight to win and you're always in, uh, in danger of being defeated. And this develops into a kind of uh, uh, narcissistic wound, uh, which is really a developmental wound. And when a large segment of society either develops this way or because of societal stress is regressed to this state, then they will look for narcissistically wounded or developmentally um, really developmentally arrested leaders instead of healthy ones. You actually become less attracted to health and more attracted to pathology because pathology attracts pathology in kind of a symbiotic way. Um, and uh, in fact, can become magnetically attracted. And that's where the leader-follower dynamic happens in, uh, in a highly... Um, attracted but uh, unhealthy direction. So you've mentioned Donald Trump. What are perhaps some of those leaders on the left that the more populist flavors of left-leaning voter bases are attracted to? Well, that uh, the left-leaning disruptors have tended to advocate for better social conditions. So in other words, they're... they're uh, not looking for emotionally comfortable but destructive solutions, but rather um, 
solutions that would address the problem. Uh, or at least that would be the case with Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, uh, because they do address the societal um, socioeconomic inequality and societal injustices. Those kinds of disruptors, I have to say, are actually more attractive during times of uh, societal mental health, where there's a sense of stability, where disrupting whatever remaining stability is uh, is palatable. And one can see bettering the world by, um, by disrupting the peace that does exist uh, in order to um, advance toward uh, a, a more uh, just and equitable state. Um, what we see with the more unhealthy disruptors is that uh, they are uh, actually going for certain ideologies that people uh, are uh, that that people are fixated on for reasons of comfort, such as white supremacy, or um, uh, or some kind of nostalgic uh, ideal of the past, and we see this in authoritarian regimes or um, fascistic regimes, which are actually very revolutionary in the sense that they disrupt societies that have existed based on some kind of comforting ideal of the past. Well, psychologically, we would say that individuals are trying to return to the womb where uh, things were comforted, uh, where they were comforted and the environment was very friendly to them and all needs were provided for. This is a state that is, of course, not a very advanced state. It's a regressed state. Uh, whereas uh, a more developed state, when, when those kind of developmental stages have been supported and an individual um, arrives at uh, a state of emotional stability and uh, self-assurance, then one can consider disrupting for the sake of change, for the sake of positive change, as well as um, attaining states that where we had not been before. That requires a certain level of emotional health. And so from the outside, they may look the same, but they're actually at opposite poles of the spectrum, as I've described, with the middle being a stable, peaceful state. So looking forward to 2024, I kind of think about it in that we appear to be living in a somewhat post-truth world where truth isn't necessarily the sole focus of discussion. It's more about how do I feel about it? And then from my feelings, I develop convictions. And from my convictions, I drive my action. So irregardless of the truth, 2016, the left feels like the election was rigged against them from uh, Russian um, hacking and social media and all this stuff. 2020, the right feels like the election was rigged against them. So we now have both parties that feel like an election was stolen from them. And so looking forward to 2024, it seems like a very dangerous concoction. How do you think about that? Well, that kind of detachment from reality, where emotional 
drives, uh, in fact, emotional compulsions are more important than facts and reality. That's actually the definition of psychosis. When one falls into a state of severe illness, um, one's emotional needs are more important than reality. And one loses the ability to reality test because meeting those emotional needs is more important than what is happening on the outside. And almost uh, what is happening in the external world almost doesn't matter because the internal needs are so urgent. Uh, And I don't mean to put it so bluntly, but it does indicate a serious state of deterioration. Of course, that doesn't mean that every individual in the United States would be diagnosable with some kind of mental illness. In fact, quite the contrary. Uh, The societal state of mental health is something very different from individual mental, um, mental state. And as a society, we could be going into this state of, uh, this very dangerous state of detachment from reality. But uh, it could be because of many different causes, including um, pathology in the leadership, whereas the population is relatively healthy, Um, or there's a great deal of control of the media or social media. There's a great deal of indoctrination that is happening. many conditions that we find actually in cults. And um, by cult, I mean the kind of inculcation and indoctrination of certain ideas uh, above and beyond individual uh, state of uh, mental impairment um, because of the pathological needs of a leader or of society. And we are in a state where, again, going back to the socioeconomic inequality that we have generated quite dramatically over the last 40 years, um, there's a great deal of need for the, uh, for the ruling class to be able to control what the population thinks and feels and uh, is aware of, even the, the information one has access to or Uh, knowledge on the part of expertise being shared. Uh, I know for a fact that mental health expertise has been blocked. Um, uh, We're not able to share much of our expertise with the public other than through outlets such as yours um, because uh, because of the threat that truth and knowledge pose on a population that is still able to take in this information and uh, and to act by its own volition rather than according to how the rulers that be would like them to act. Well, no one wants to hear they're living in a society that could be classified as psychosis and attached from reality. It's not a very pleasing message. And that's, that's a little what I heard you say in the beginning there is that while us as individuals might not be diagnosed with that the if if a society is let's just simplify things if there's a society that's post truth and feeling develops conviction conviction action all these things that could be deemed as psychosis from your more systematic assessment um, well, I'm which is simply, oh, go ahead. 
I'm simply stating that it has characteristics of psychosis. I see. And we can draw parallels and we can learn from what mm-hmm. happens when an individual falls into psychosis. There are certain things that happen. Uh, one is that one loses self-awareness. One uh, loses what is called insight, the ability to perceive that something is wrong. So we might have noticed that a society that is detached from reality will adamantly insist that one's own version of truth is the truth and others are being misled. And uh, and then it becomes blurred as to who really is telling the truth, the real, uh, the, the persons who are perceiving reality as it is, or those who are uh, believing that they are perceiving reality and uh, stating that reality itself is a delusion. So it becomes obscure who is telling the truth. And when you fall into a psychosis, reality no longer matters. So the fact that uh, you may be dying, you may be destroying yourself, all of these things do not matter. We're actually experiencing this as a society. People are dying from COVID. Uh, People are told what to do. to save their lives, their own lives and the lives of their loved ones, but they are refusing to do it because they cannot accept reality or facts or science as being valid. Uh, Their emotional pull uh, brings them to a place where they either downplay the pandemic or uh, believe it's a hoax or whatever there might be. And here we can see the power of the mind that no amount of... Um, no amount of disease and death can sometimes pull one out of this state. We are, of course, seeing a lot of individuals now getting sick and being hospitalized and, and recognizing how wrong they were. These, this shows that, you know, not all individuals are far gone, but enough are to make our society uh, go in a direction of dangerous self-destruction. Well, that's so interesting that you say there's an element of I'm believing in my version of the truth and I'm unwilling to listen to yours because when I think about the script or the narrative that both sides are using, I can, I can sum it down to a very nonpartisan script, which basically says I'm fighting for the most true version of America and the other side is confused. And the left might say something like to add partisan elements, the left might say something like I'm fighting for, I'm fighting for the true version of America that is laid out in the constitution, but enacted poorly of like fighting for equity and equality and everyone's freedom of choice. And the right might say something like the same thing, but fighting for, more of those service to the nation and self-sacrifice, family values, all these things. And so it's so fascinating that both sides are really just saying the exact same thing. The characters, the topics, the events, the places are different. And that really speaks to what you're saying here is where we have this element of, you know, actually, I just want to ask you, how how do we get here? How do we get here as a society that we're, we're actually so similar, yet we're at each other's throats? Yes, any kind of fragmentation is a sign of ill health. So we can at least agree that we are not in a healthy state at this time. 
But how do you distinguish when both sides are saying they are the healthy side? And um, it's a characteristic of pathology, in fact, to reverse the order of healthy and ill health, uh, to state that one is just another uh, healthy ideology or a healthy choice, and um, a healthy state is, in fact, the pathological. So how do we tell them apart? Um, there are actually formulas that um, mental health professionals use, and it's based on what we observe in those who are disordered or in a diseased state. So when a disease takes over the mind, and it really is kind of described as an imprisoning of one's uh, true personality, so much so that when we uh, sometimes, unfortunately, have to hospitalize and um, force treatment on individuals, they actually, you know, they would go kicking and screaming, but they return inevitably thanking us um, uh, as if, uh, you know, all that trouble of being forced against their will was actually worthwhile for the freedom of mind they gain afterward. So uh, we often distinguish between what is, what is the disease talking versus the healthy mind. And the disease is unable to conceive of the possibility that one is diseased. So a healthy mind is always able to retain some doubt. Uh, it may seem counterintuitive, but that's what we observe. So actually, you test by asking the person, could it be that your mind is somehow playing tricks on you? The healthy person will ponder for a moment and uh, consider that possibility. The unhealthy mind will never consider that possibility and run for their lives rather than be seen by a psychiatrist or be hospitalized. Um, and you wonder if they truly believe that nothing was wrong with them, why do they adamantly need to refuse any kind of evaluation? But in fact, that is a symptom of disease. Very interesting. I, and maybe this is me, I honestly cannot think, like those of my peers, friends that are strongly on either side, I cannot visualize them remotely considering that they might be confused. That's where we are gradually um, entering into a state of true disorder in our society rather than um, having differences of opinion and being able to have a healthy debate. Uh, we are losing that ability on both sides. Yes. I really like how you said that doubt is actually a very healthy part of anyone's conviction or equation as to how they think about uh, perhaps their greater worldview or an ideology. Um, Definitely going to sit on that one. So and why... The, uh, oh, go ahead. And the ability to change, uh, depending on facts or evidence, that one can change one's opinion. When one is uh, invested, emotionally invested in a certain point of view, uh, to the point of being disordered, then no amount of facts or evidence will ever matter. Uh, rather one can react uh, vehemently or 
uh, defend oneself vehemently or uh, become even violent in the face of challenging one's beliefs. That's also a sign of pathology. Coming very rigid is also very uh, is also a sign of pathology. So that actually leads into where I was thinking about next is extremism and extremism of both sides of the right and the left. Is is this kind of exactly what we're looking at here? Is people becoming just more rigid, more rigid? Is that a form of extremism? Yes, absolutely. You will find that extreme ideologies often come with rigidity and um, and characteristics of pathology. Not all of them. Extreme ideologies can came up, can come about because of extreme conditions. Uh, but those, again, are responsive to external conditions, responsive to reality. Uh, but usually, extreme ideology indicates um, pathology and rigidity, uh, an emotional investment in a certain kind of uh, way of thinking and inability to tolerate any other way. Because uh, the, the inability to tolerate uncertainty, which is also a sign of pathology, um, makes one espouse extreme versions of an ideology in order to give oneself the emotional comfort that normal individuals have, have and take for granted. You know, it's very interesting thinking about the future in this. And I think about it as trajectories a little more instead of, well, this leads to that, leads to that, leads to that. Of of more just well, what's the general trajectory? And when you when you think of the topic we've been speaking about, what's the trajectory? It seems to be even more divided, more extreme. And then you add in other variables of like, okay, well, how does social media impact us as social creatures in the echo chamber and these 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 well thought out scenarios that have been <clears throat> laid out much better than I could ever do. And then you bring in other elements, other elements. It's really challenging to imagine a world where we slow this trajectory of increasing division and then begin to reverse it without some kind of event or something that like cleansing this cycle and really turns a page on the chapter to move into something different. Are, how do you think about America going forward into the next decade? Well, I think you pointed out um, an unfortunate reality in that when things are so far gone, uh, some kind of catastrophic event is almost necessary for a change in course because uh, pathology itself is, is you know, accelerating and um, and it attracts more of itself, drives people to make more self-destructive choices. Um, and one of the reasons why mental health professionals came out so strongly, especially with uh, the election of Donald Trump, who we assessed as being someone psychologically dangerous and mentally impaired, uh, unfit for the presidency. And... Um, because it was because the course was laid out before us. If he were to retain and stay in power, then the entire society would be mentally affected. And 
then we reach a point where we can no longer prevent things or turn things around ourselves, but would need external intervention or some kind of catastrophic event from within that wakes us up. Um, we're quickly approaching that state, unfortunately. Uh, the presidency has unfolded exactly as we feared in terms of level of danger and um, even followed our own timetable. And uh, the handling of the COVID crisis was exactly as we imagined uh, crisis would be handled. And also uh, the insurrection was the degree of violence that we imagined we would see with this presidency. In fact, it, there are a lot of dangers that were just uh, averted by sheer chance. But dangers have accelerated all over the world, including the situation with Afghanistan, which was certainly worsened uh, during the presidency, as well as many other regions of the world. So um, what can be done at this point? I believe that um, things are at a point that requires specialist intervention. When you are moderately sick, you might be able to do home remedies or figure out your own uh, course of treatment. But when you are truly life-threateningly uh, ill, you go to the doctor. I believe we're close to that point, particularly because the public was not able to be educated when things were less severe. Uh, some kind of intervention needs to happen if there were intelligent leadership that is open to uh, listening to experts, we would be able to outline what interventions would work. And there are interventions that would work. And uh, I, am, uh, I have experience working with uh, governments around the world, uh, state governments in the US. I've for long consulted with the World Health Organization on violence prevention from a public health perspective. And so this is doable. And uh, 133 countries have shown that they were able to reduce violence dramatically following the WHO's recommendations, which, are, which is primarily um, public health scholarship. So what applies right now is public mental health scholarship, as well as understanding of mental health principles. We cannot exclude mental health and say that this is simply politics or um, history. Historians have observed this a great deal, of course, but they don't know the underlying dynamics that are involved and what the intervention might look like. The underlying dynamics and interventions look very much like how we intervene with uh, mentally uh, impaired individuals. And so that is why I believe that mental health knowledge is critical. Of course, we cannot do this alone because, you know, we don't normally practice at societal scale. But there needs to be collaboration and there needs to be a voice and recognition that mental health principles are at play. And that is where we are nowhere near where we should be because there is uh, widespread denial there is still an absolute blocking of mental health professionals from speaking about public health issues, which began with the Trump presidency, by the way. There's always been 
stigma and a kind of slowness to accept mental health education, but complete blockage has been rare. We've been completely blocked from the major media, uh, particularly after we raised the issue of the, the mental health of the president to the number one topic of national discussion. Uh, that was when especially the American Psychiatric Association stepped in and blocked us altogether, stating we were being unethical when, in fact, we do have a public health duty as mental health professionals. The Geneva Declaration says so. Our medical ethics code says so. Uh, but all this has, the public has basically been misinformed. And uh, so now we have a population, a world population that is now dying from misinformation and disinformation as the Surgeon General himself uh, declared through his recent advisory. He was speaking especially with respect to the COVID pandemic, but I would say the same applies with mental health principles. We currently have a mental health pandemic that precedes and underlies the COVID pandemic. In fact, uh, the COVID crisis is a mental health crisis. Uh, but we also have a mental health crisis in the political leadership, in, uh, in the way that the public is being led. Uh, and that is why I believe that it's imperative that mental health expertise be brought into the picture. We do not shun pandemic experts from speaking about a viral pandemic when um, uh, we've tried that. And we've seen how many multifold the deaths have increased and how much more prolonged the pandemic has become. It may have even become permanent now. The same principles apply to the mental health pandemic. And this pandemic has started even before the COVID one. So uh, the principles are the same. In medicine, we do not distinguish between mental health and the rest of health. There's no reason to. Both of them are based on science, on uh, clinical experience, and application of standards of practice. We can do this, but we will not be able to if we deny that there are such principles and shun the expertise. So you mentioned there is somewhat of a, of a path that could be enacted if the decision was made to... <clears throat> um, reverse some of these changes. Can you give us a, just a quick flyover of what, let's say you've, I just magic wanded you, now you are in charge of the entire um, new development of trying to uh, reverse all the stuff we've been talking about. What, what would you do? Like, what are some of the things? Well, um, the steps I outlined in my profile of a nation, Trump's mind, America's soul, which was written exactly a year ago, uh, was actually meant as a blueprint to national healing. I stated that the elections will not be final for the pathology that this that presidency was spreading, that the end of his presidency would not be final. What was needed, uh, what is still needed, is removal of the offending agent, which initially was Donald Trump himself, uh, but now there are many, many Trumps, 
and Donald Trump himself has not been removed entirely from uh, exposure to the to the media scape and social media scape. Uh, he needs to be removed. His followers need to be removed. They need to be discredited through prosecution, through removal from public uh, appearances, through um, uh, through a general dismissal now of his uh, of his relevance. Um, secondly, um, the uh, media and social media uh, landscape has to change. Um, as I've mentioned, there's a great deal of indoctrination that is happening that needs to be curtailed, either through um, standards in uh, in the media where uh, lies cannot be spread equally as facts um, and, uh, and disinformation cannot be called news. Um, something has to be uh, done to control the information that's spreading because if given the if given equal platform, pathology will spread more quickly than facts and evidence for the reasons I've mentioned before. And thirdly, to go to the source of all this, um, uh, the source of the population becoming psychologically vulnerable in the first place, which is the socioeconomic inequalities and injustices that have reduced the level of health in society level of education, level of ability to make a living, uh, and many other factors that affect our general well-being, which in turn uh, affect our uh, emotional health and development into full individuals. These things need to be addressed. Uh, when this can be done at all different levels, they, uh, they can be seen at different levels of prevention. Uh, then the problem can be tackled relatively quickly. It's, it's interesting. I can't help but think that this, this approach does come across as quite authoritarian. It's more top-down. It's less kind of free market. And also the free market comparison of just like of the social landscape. Oh, well, you do this, you do that. We're all kind of work together. And I find it interesting because it seems like if the right is in power, at least when Trump was in power, it was things had a bit more of an autocratic authoritarian flavor. And your solutions certainly could be characterized as that as well. And so are we are we destined for a more authoritarian future, like irregardless of who wins the um, the political battles? No, I'm advocating for a medical intervention because currently we have a health crisis. Uh, if we do not deal with this health crisis, we will not have the freedom. We will not have the kind of democracy that we envision. Uh, it is the same with COVID. If we do not implement the public health measures and place this uh, public health crisis under control. We will not have the freedom or freedom of movement, freedom of uh, choice that we are advocating we need. Uh, we are seeing it right now. The pandemic might have been over within a few months, at least in this country, if everyone uh, followed the instructions of what was needed to bring the 
bring the crisis under control. This is simply um, uh, an educated response to uh, further our collective well-being. If we do not follow this, if we bring in um, arguments of freedom or uh, other, uh, the economy of what have you, um, at this point, it's actually self-destructive. It will curtail future uh, freedoms and it will reduce our ability to save the economy in the long run. So um, so I would actually just bring in how things are done uh, in general practice. In courts, uh, people are able to make their own choices and represent uh, their own uh, will unless they do not have the mental capacity to do so. In that case, they either have a guardian who speaks for them or they are uh, sent for treatment until they can restore that ability. We cannot equate a state of mental impairment and mental incapacity with someone's freedom of choice uh, when they are well-informed and have the rational capacity to do so. Uh, if we allow them to be equated, then one will end up uh, one will be more driven to make the pathological choices when one is at that brink. Uh, we as a society have not safeguarded our own collective mental health. That is the only reason why we are at this state of emergency where medical intervention is needed to save our minds, to be able to have any rational system, to have the freedom that we desire in the first place. Now, how do we do this in a democratic society? Well, we try to do it as a collective rational choice uh, through education of ourselves and through uh, having the right facts and knowledge available to us. That has been impaired. Uh, we have not, we have lost all the time that we might have been educated uh, by the silencing of the mental health experts, as, as I have um, described to you. Since early 2018, mental health professionals have been banned uh, from all the major media uh, in speaking about uh, mental health issues related to politics or the national affairs. Um, and I would say it's not that mental health professionals are speaking about politics, but speaking about mental health issues in the realm of politics. Politics does not make people immune from mental health issues, so there are still aspects that we needed to talk about. Those things were not addressed, and therefore we are at this state. It is like a pandemic, uh, just like the vi viral pandemic would have raged uncontrollably, exponentially, if we did not place some control on it. Uh, and the same is true with the mental health pandemic. We're seeing actually a state where there has been no control in place and it's been allowed to spread throughout the country. And as you said, health and uh, disease are no longer distinguishable. Uh, they are vying for attention in the same way. And what do we do in such a situation? Well, we look at the science and evidence. One way works, the interventions work and bring about health and life. The other way uh, is maybe emotionally very attractive, but it brings about destruction and death. And uh, with both sides vying, we don't know which way we'll win. Uh, and we don't have, as I said, an external objective uh, intervener 
to be able to save us from ourselves. Well, Bandy, let's leave it there. I have really appreciated your time and also this, um, you've taken me on such a journey here throughout thinking about um, all the different aspects of the social, the political, the mental health landscape. So if folks want to find more of your work, are you on social media at all? I know you mentioned a few of your books. Where can folks find more of you? Yes, my website is found at bandylee.com, B as in boy, A-N-D-Y-L-E-E.com. And I'm also on Twitter at bandyxlee1, that is B-A-N-D-Y-X-L-E-E, the number one. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for joining. It's been a really pleasant conversation. Thank you very much for having me and for having this difficult conversation. Thank you for watching to the very end. If you like our content, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. It is the best way to help us reach the most people possible. And that way we can keep producing content every week. Make sure to drop a comment below of who you'd like us to interview next. And we look forward to seeing you next week.